Fanta, a drink enjoyed by millions every day that actually has a very interesting origin. In this video we're going back to the Second World War to see how it ended up creating one of the most iconic beverages in the world. This video is brought to you by CuriosityStream. Watch thousands of award-winning documentaries by signing up for a free trial using the link in the description. The year is 1933, and while Hitler had just come to power, another force was also rising in Germany. Coca-Cola, one of the quintessential American companies, had entered the German market in 1929 on the back of this guy, Max Kite. He had single-handedly built the company's entire infrastructure in Germany, starting with a bottling plant in Frankfurt and warehouses in Cologne. He and an army of salesmen would scour the streets of every major city, distributing pamphlets and putting up posters until every German knew about Coca-Cola. Through his aggressive marketing, Kite did something truly remarkable. He got a country with centuries of alcoholic traditions to actually start drinking soda instead. Of course, Kite's timing was impeccable. He built factories and hired people when everything was cheap because of the Great Depression. Then, when Germany started recovering in the early 1930s, Kite's Coca-Cola was the first product many people bought when they finally had some disposable income. Technology, too, was helping Kite. Refrigerators had swept across America in the 1930s and were making their way to Germany, too, allowing an unprecedented amount of people to enjoy a cold Coca-Cola. Of course, Kite was very careful in his advertising. He went to great lengths to hide the fact that Coca-Cola was actually an American business. He listed the German subsidiary in every single advert and even tried to obscure the ownership structure by claiming that the American company wasn't a shareholder, but only a lender, providing the secret formula and the money. In a way, Kite was right. His phenomenal success convinced his American supervisors to give him incredible independence. So much so that by 1935 he was producing seven out of the nine secret ingredients to Coca-Cola in his own factories. By that point Germany had already become Coca-Cola's biggest market outside of America, but Kite was only just getting started. The 1936 Olympics held in Berlin became a moment of triumph as much for Hitler as for Kite himself. As Germany won 33 gold medals, more than any other country, Kite's Coca-Cola banners flew throughout the event, and he ended up selling over a million cases of Coca-Cola that year. And yet, despite this accomplishment, a new threat loomed above Kite's cola empire. Under Hitler's orders, the German economy was to embark upon a four-year plan towards rearmament and self-sufficiency, and that meant much fewer shipments from America. Kite had no choice but to expand production even further. In 1938, he had nine factories under construction, with 43 operational. When the Nazis annexed Austria in March of that year, Kite was quick to establish a subsidiary there, six months later. And yet this wave of expansion would be cut very short, for in September 1939, Hitler's troops marched into Poland and began the Second World War. Coca-Cola shipments from America were very limited and were stopped altogether when the US itself entered the war in 1941. As the director of an American-owned company, Kite was afraid that he might be imprisoned and his business nationalized, which is exactly what happened to the German subsidiaries of General Motors and IBM. The Nazi bureaucracy 
was eager to continue with the nationalizations it had performed throughout the 1930s, and Kite was an easy target. His only solution was to join the bureaucracy himself, and luckily enough he happened to be friends with the Nazi Minister of Justice, who appointed Kite to the Office of Enemy Property. From this position, Kite was not only safe from the Nazis, but he could also save the other European Coca-Cola companies too. As the German war machine swept across Europe, Kite would take over the Coca-Cola factories of France, the Netherlands, Belgium and Norway. But of course, all the factories in the world would be useless if they didn't have anything to produce, and Kite had no more shipments coming from America. He rationed the two missing Coca-Cola ingredients as best he could, reserving his limited supply for use in Nazi hospitals, but even this rationing lasted only a few years. Kite had to either find a new product or go bankrupt, but with the German economy approaching total mobilization, the ingredients available to him were extremely scarce. Kite got his chemists to create a recipe from what he called the leftovers of the leftovers, which included the apple fiber left from cider presses and whey, the watery substance that remains after milk has been curdled to make cheese. Depending on what produce was coming in from Italy, the recipe would also sometimes include grapes, lemons and oranges, but even then the resulting cloudy brownish liquid was far from tasty. In fact, it wasn't even used as a drink most of the time, but instead people were watering down their soups with it. Nevertheless, Kite finally had a product he could readily produce, and starting in 1940, the Coca-Cola factories of Europe were once again running at full capacity. To come up with a brand name for his new product, Kite instructed his salesmen to use their imagination, or fantasy, in German. That word became the codename of the product, and eventually it was shortened to just Fanta, and Kite ran with it. By the time Kite's supply of Coca-Cola ran out entirely, in 1943, he was selling 3 million cases of Fanta per year, but with the Eastern Front turning against Germany, the war was starting to take its toll. When the army began requisitioning Kite's trucks, he had to start bottling carbonated water in order to get his company on the list of businesses essential to the war effort. And yet, from 1943 onward, the German Air Force was steadily obliterated, to the point where the Allies were bombing German cities daily with impunity. Every single one of Kite's factories was bombed at least once during the war, while his headquarters in the industrial city of Essen were completely leveled. By January 1945, the Nazi government was collapsing in on itself, and it was looking for traitors which it could blame. The Ministry of Justice was no longer safe for Kite. First, it ordered him to change his company's name to anything other than Coca-Cola, and then it summoned him to Berlin for questioning and to begin the process of nationalizing his company. By that point, Kite's friend was dead and he had been replaced, but in a streak of incredible luck, the very next week, the Allies bombed the Ministry of Justice, killing the new minister and practically saving Kite from certain death. For the next three months, he would continue bottling Fanta until the Americans found him in a partially destroyed factory in May 1945. His first telegraph to the American headquarters was to confirm that the German subsidiary was still alive and to ask for help, but the Americans were way ahead of him. As the Allies liberated Europe, Coca-Cola engineers sent from the US were marching right behind them, rebuilding their factories and bottling Coca-Cola in Germany as early as April. In America, 
Kite was hailed as a hero. Not only had he kept the company alive, he never officially became a member of the Nazi party, keeping Coca-Cola away from the taint of fascism. For his efforts, Kite was made president of Coca-Cola Europe, and after a few years of careful planning, he released a proper version of Fanta worldwide in 1955. Since then Fanta has become one of Coca-Cola's best-selling beverages, but it all happened thanks to one man's audacity to make soda in the face of Nazi Germany. Speaking of Nazi Germany, you can watch two awesome documentaries on the bombing campaign against the Nazis and the final collapse of their regime on CuriosityStream, a streaming service built exclusively for documentaries. It was created by the same guy who founded Discovery Channel, and it has thousands of award-winning documentaries which you can watch for just $3 a month. In fact, to show you just how awesome their service is, I'm giving you a 30-day free trial of CuriosityStream if you register with the link in the description and use the code BUSINESSCASUAL when you sign up. Anyway, thank you for watching. Make sure to like the video if you enjoyed it and to subscribe if you're new. We're gonna be seeing each other again in two weeks. And until then, stay smart.